We'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for December 14th, 2008. And the next part of this, this will finish up our study on um, Dan and uh, that region with Mount Hermon. And this is a quote, I'm going to be just reading some pages from Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural, The Coming Great Deception in the Luciferian Endgame. This is by a guy named L.A. Marzula. I've been wanting to read this book for a long time. And we're going to be starting on page 82, uh, because it seems as though this really ties into what we're talking about. And this is funny, I hadn't picked this book up in months, and I just finished this, you know, got into this thing on Dan, I picked it up the other night and started reading where I'd left off, and it started, really, was really talking about the exact same things that we were talking about today, except actually adding to some of the research that I wasn't even aware of in regard to this region. So... This On page 82, it starts out, When did the fallen angels appear? It says, When and where did the fallen angels appear is a question that brings about another debate as to the origins of man and how long we have been on earth. Furthermore, when did the great flood occur? Some proposed 6,000 years ago, as cited by Bishop Unger and other proponents of a young age for the earth, but no one really knows. At best, this is conjecture. Uh, but again, you know, there's a lot of people that would say it's not conjecture. Okay, um, but then it says, "What if the flood uh, occurred ten or twelve thousand years ago? If the date, if the flood date were earlier, this might explain some of the ancient megalithic structures that have remained enigmatic since man first set his eyes on them." I'm speaking specifically of the Great Pyramid and the structure at Baalbek in Lebanon. Now, remember, it had mentioned Baalbek before, and I said we were going to get back to that. That's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, this, these structures at Baalbek. And again, we have Baal Beck, and it's in Lebanon, which is another area that is associated, the Valley of Lebanon is associated with Mount Hermon in the Bible. So in an earlier flood date would allow for the possibility that these structures were built by the Nephilim. I don't personally, I don't really need the date, the dates to me aren't as, as important, okay? As, as far as some of the stuff, uh, goes, the fact that they're there, and we know that the giants existed, to me, and we know what the Bible says, to me, that's the most important part, and then if we can document history, to me, the dates aren't really the important part, what's important is, is did it happen, or did it not happen, okay, so, uh, following are a few things to think about, and tie together in hope of gaining a perspective on what happened in the distant past, when the fallen angels first appeared, the book of Enoch states that it came in the days of Jared. Who was Jared? The Bible says that Jared lived 962 years and was part of Noah's lineage and genealogy. Following is a partial list of Noah's lineage. Jared, um, who would have been alive when the, when the fallen angels appeared on Mount Hermon, uh, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Okay. Noah spent 120 years in preparation building the ark for the flood. Noah was 600 years old, approximately, when the flood came. From the time that the fallen angels first appeared, which was the time of Jared, according to the book of Enoch, until the time Noah and the flood, there, were, there could have been as much as 400 years of direct contact between the fallen angels and mankind, resulting in the hybrid Nephilim. Now that's an interesting point, because I never really thought of that before, how much time existed when the angels fell, when the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, they took them wise all that they have chose, according to Genesis 6. How much time 
elapsed there. I mean, was it 10 years? How could you corrupt the whole world that quickly? It would have taken some time, in other words. And if it, if um, the time frame in Enoch says that they came in the days of Jared, that would have given them about 400 years of direct contact with the fallen angels and mankind, which would have been plenty of time to pretty much corrupt all humanity in the seed up to the point where, uh, you know, and, and a lot of times people would say, well, you know, this isn't fair for their for their lineage or whatever. If the giants procreated with women and that happened, you know, it's not fair to the babies that were born to them because then they can't get saved. Well, that's not my business. Jesus Christ didn't come to save and pay the sin debt for Nephilims. This was a race that should have never, ever, ever been on the planet, ever. So, if they are of the serpent seed, okay, literally, a byproduct of fallen angels, if they have that in their genetic makeup, I don't believe it's possible for them to get saved. I, I just Because Jesus Christ's redemption plan was for the human race, not for the Nephilim race. So, just another thing to, to think about there. Both the Genesis text and the Enochian text describe the Nephilim as being of a large stature. The question is, how large? In Genesis 6-4, and I'm basically paraphrasing here, uh, that there were giants in the earth in those days and also afterwards. Unfortunately, this verse does not specify the height of the giants. The book of Enoch states they became pregnant, they bare them giants whose height was 3,000 L's. Now, I said that before. Unfortunately, we don't know how big an L is. An E-L-L is the actual unit of measurement. But we're going to be talking about this more. It's very interesting. Jumping ahead to another record occurrence of the fallen angels thousands of years after their initial descent, Numbers 13, 32-33 comes closer to answering the question of just how large the Nephilim were. It tells of 12 spies and that they were sent by Moses into what would be called the Promised Land. Their mission was to check it out and report back. Their findings state that the land that we explored devoured all those that were living in it, okay, and all the people that we, we saw of great size, we were as grasshoppers in their sight. Uh, we saw, you know, they basically saw the Nephilim, the descendants of the Anak, or the Anunnaki, okay? Um, and, uh, anyway, that's, that's from, I'm paraphrasing that from Numbers 13, 32, and 33. Okay, so that's something that's, you know, definitely noteworthy. Well, what we find astonishing about Numbers 13, 32, and 33 is the dramatic example of the supernatural beings uh, that were manifested overtly in the earth. These people were of great size, so large that Moses' spies felt like grasshoppers in the presence. Being of a size of this colossal is not a human characteristic, thus demonstrating the Nephilim's uh, supernatural traits. Returning to the question of how large the Nephilim really were, the following is what I believe to be a plausible answer. Using Josephus as an extra-biblical source, he tells us that the Nephilim had bodies so large and countenances so entirely different from other men that they were surprising to the sight and terrible to the hearing. I mean, these aren't somebody you're going to pull up to a coffee table and have a cup of coffee with, Mr. Giant Nephilim. They, they didn't act like humans acted. They were so terrible and of such a fierce countenance that you didn't even want to be within miles of these things. Okay, that's how nasty they were, and, and I believe are, because as it was in the days of Noah, 
so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now again, I'm not saying there's these giants walk around the planet right now, but let me just say this real quick. Steve Quayle just came out with a new book, and it's called The Long Walkers. And you can go up to his website, and I'm not going to say a whole lot about it. I haven't read it yet. He's sending me a copy. But um, <laughs> I tell you what, when I read chapter the preface in chapter 1, it rings true very, very much with this information that we're going over today. Uh, and remember, the deception that is coming, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So this is something we really need to be out on the lookout for. So again, you can go up on Steve Quayle's website. He's got the book available for sale now. It's called The Long Walkers. You go up to his homepage, and uh, it's right there at the very top of the page. Okay, so a quote then we, we can talk about from the, uh, the book The Omega Conspiracy by I.D.E. Thomas says that in 1936, Larson Cole, the German paleontologist and anthropologist, found the bodies of gigantic men on the shore of Lake Eliezi of, in Central Africa. Other giant skeletons were found in Hava, uh, in Transvaal, and in China, and the evidence for the existence of giants is incontrovertible. A scientifically assured fact, says Dr. Burkhalter. Okay, now, this isn't something that's even open for debate. Okay, they have found hundreds and thousands of giant skeletons around the earth almost every place that a human could inhabit. Okay, is it on the front page news? No, it doesn't line up with the whole Darwinian evolution. They don't have an, an explanation for it. It also would confirm the Bible, so they're going to try to suppress it. That's a very important thing that I just said. But understand that this isn't something that's open for debate as whether they, they found these skeletons and skulls and things of that nature. He goes on to say, What if the first time the intermingling happened between the fallen angels and the woman on earth, the seed of the fallen men were more potent? In other words, the first fallen angels' offspring might have produced giants perhaps as tall as 30 feet in height. Subsequent breeding of the giants with other human women would dilute the gene pool. Now that was my quote. Well, think about it. I mean, if you have a fallen angel directly procreating with a woman, she has a baby. That's going to be the most pure of that bloodline. Now we know that the, the fallen angels didn't just keep breeding over and over because they were. The Bible talks about in Jude and in Peter where they're they're. They're basically chained in, everla they're in everlasting chains, reserved under the day of judgment. They're in a compartment of hell called Tartarus. Okay, so they didn't have that. So the giants then would then would, would then breed with somebody. And do you understand how the gene pool would would become diluted? Okay, you could actually probably get to a point where you had where you had this this genetic gene pool, and you may be able to actually go about in public and not even be no. Um, Nunetta just uh, as knew a family at one time, and this family had all the children that were being born all had six fingers and six toes. And they were wicked for the most part. There was something really, really wicked and wrong about this particular family that she knew. And at birth they would have the... the, the now I'm not saying somebody could be born with six fingers and that has to mean that they're of the... But 
it's not a really good indicator. You know, it's not exactly something that you would want to... <laughs> but, again, how diluted that gene pool could get, you know, is, is due to how many, you know, times the, the uh, far away from the original source that the, that the procreation occurred. Now, on Steve Quayle's website, I think this is a good segue that we could bring this in. So he's, he's giving this, he's saying here in this book that we're reading from, the first fallen angels of human offspring might have produced giants perhaps as tall as 30 feet. And then he goes on to say, as centuries passed and as the second incursion, as mentioned in, in the account of Joshua occurred, the seed of the fallen angels may have gotten weaker. Well, again, these are a new set of, these are a new set of uh, fallen angels that procreated. Okay. Uh, but but he's saying that as these as the gene pool got more diluted, the result the result the resulting giants were shorter and shorter. Okay, once again we have to turn it to Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, who gives even further insight into the Nephilim's appearance in chapter three of the book of the Antiquities of the Jews. He says, "For many angels of God accompanied with women and begat sons that proved unjust." despisers of all that was good on the account of the confidence that they had in their own strength. For the tradition of these men did what resembled in the acts of the Grecian, that the Grecians called giants. And then he says, I wonder what happened to the remains. What if we could find one of the skeletons? Would the DNA point to something extraordinary? In my book Nephilim, there is a discussion of this very possibility. Well, they've discovered all kinds of bones and things, but I just don't think that any science laboratory is going to do any kind of DNA studies because, again, they don't even want to touch this stuff with a 10-foot pole. It would end up confirming the Bible and they can't plug it into Darwinism. Those are the two main reasons. So, this is from Steve Quayle's website. He says, I've invested over 30 years researching the vast history of giants. It has, for the most part, been kept from the public. Now, this is the man that just released the book, The Long Walkers. Okay, I haven't read it yet, but... <laughs> It looks very to be very, very, very confirmatory of this information. Now, remember how the Bible said in Genesis 6 that the giants were there also after that? Okay. In the preface to this book, it starts out with a battle, a Roman battle that actually took place, and I think it was like 90 B.C. or something. And again, uh, I was relating this to Nonetta re regarding this battle. And it was a battle that the Romans actually had with a race of these giants. And now, now we're talking 90 BC. We're talking way after the Promised Land and all those giants. So this is something that has been reoccurring and reoccurring and reoccurring over. And this Long Walker book appears to be a documentation of the modern day giants, I believe, within the earth. We believe they're just walking around everywhere. Obviously, that would be something that would be pretty tough to hide. But what if they're within the earth? What if they're in the earth? Okay, what if they're hiding, in other words, right now? Preparing themselves for the day when they can actually make their appearance. I mean, isn't that what the, this whole UFO thing's about? I mean, yeah, they're kind of appearing here and there, and there's all these UFO sightings, but have they made their, their grand appearance yet? What about that Lord Maitreya guy and these ascended masters? Many, many times, if you read their channeling, what are they talking about? Uh, this devil betrayer, this Lord Maitreya, is talking about now, you know, the day of declaration. This is noteworthy. I need to mention this right now. I had a guy email me this week, a Christian brother, and he said he was listening to Rush Limbaugh 
and said that during one of the commercial breaks of Rush Limbaugh, they made an announcement, Share International put out a commercial on the radio of Rush Limbaugh, who's one of the most popular, you know, uh, radio guys. He's a Republican shill, essentially. He's not, you know, I, I, don't, I don't advocate those types of shows, but not to say you can't ever glean from, from some of that from time to time. But they had a commercial on there this week promoting the grand appearance and the day of declaration, essentially, of Lord Maitreya from Share International. This is the guy I've done, I don't know how many studies on, as a potential for possibly the Antichrist. If he's not the Antichrist, he is going to figure into the end time scenario with his ascended masters in a very, very big way. But this is the first time I had heard in years that they're actually... Now, so what I did then is I went up on Share International's website. Now, he has his own United Nations-sponsored website. And they took the United Nations-sponsored logos down a long time ago. But it was actually created, um, I, I believe, much in part due to the United Nations. Share International, you can go up there right now. I believe it's... I forget the actual website. Just just key in Share International, and you'll find it. You can go to their own website. You can read their newsletter for this month, for December of 2008. And you can read, Lord Maitreya, it seems like he's getting ready for something here, big time. Now, I've been looking at that website for a lot of years. There's not been a whole lot that's went on in the last three, four, five years on that website. There hasn't been any, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be here soon. Now... It seems as though he's shifted gears, and he's got new things on there, and particularly what he's mentioning in his newsletters, where he is going right on the cusp of making this day of declaration. He said it's prob- most likely going to be after the coming um, economic collapse, and it's going to be pretty much a global economic collapse that will usher in a lot of these one-world currencies like the Amero, the North American Union, and these types of things. See, he's only going to come when we're desperate. He's not going to come when everything's... Okay, and I know everything's not fine in America. I understand that. But (laughs) I don't think we we understand how much worse it could actually get. And he's basically saying, and he says, when this happens, I think like for the week before this is going to happen, you're going to see this star in the sky both day and night. And that is going to be the actual coming, the, the sign of his coming. That's what, that's what we're actually going to see in the sky, day and night. This really, really, really super bright. So it's going to be a line, sign, and wonder in the sky that is going to herald his coming and his day of declaration. Now, can you imagine if this happens? What is the typical Christian going to say when this starts to go down? Well, my preacher never said anything about this. He, he said everything was going to be sugar and spice and everything nice. And that we were going to be so good we were going to usher in the kingdom. Or that we're going to get raptured out of here and not have to suffer anything. Because we're such a good, wonderful group of people. Well, you know, I, I just really... I wouldn't put your faith in that. I'm sorry. I really wouldn't. There's a lot of people putting their faith in the very thing where they're not going to have to endure or suffer or go through anything or, or, or endure any kind of major deception. They're putting their faith in that. You know? Or their own righteousness. Or their own preacher or their own 501c3 corporate church. That's where their faith is at. It's not in the Word of God. It's not looking at 
all of the deception that the New Agers have been planning and that Satan has been planning, they're not, they're not looking at, at that scenario at all. Uh, I, the deception that's coming is going to be greater than anything we've ever known. Bar none. Uh, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. If it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Matthew 24, 24. And God is going to be the one that sends the strong delusion that they will believe a lie that they might all be damned who received not the love of the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So you better be sure you're embracing truth, the, word, the pure, true word of God, the King James Bible, and preparing and equipping yourself for the deception in the days to come. The prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. That's what the Bible says. So, these are something that we should really be preparing ourselves for. But, I'll tell you what, this devil Betraya guy, Betraya, uh, he's really gearing up right now. More so than I have ever seen him gear up, ever. And he's saying this is going to come on the heels of the economic collapse. And who knows what else is going to be in conjunction with that. Whether it will be like an avian flu pandemic, which I believe is only a matter of time. I've done whole presentations on this on the internet, on Google and YouTube. I did a 14-city tour in the avian flu. Um, or whether it's also in conjunction with a false flag terrorist nuke of America, possibly in conjunction with World War III involving Israel and the uh, Arab and possibly uh, uh, Arab and Russian nations. I believe a lot of the stuff is going to go down at a, at a very similar time frame to instill maximum, maximum shock and awe within humanity so that they will be absolutely, totally ripe to, to accept anything that's set before them. And then if you've got a guy coming with all lying signs and wonders, let's say this, this supposed star does appear in the sky. It's not going to be a real star. It's going to be some trick or illusion. Just like, you know, remember, they're good at magic. But the average Christian would have absolutely no explanation for this when this starts to go down. They're not, I mean, unless they're very well versed in the Bible and have studied this type of information. They're not being equipped at all. So I'm just, I'm here as a warner and a watchman, okay? Uh, I hope it doesn't go down this way, but I am, I am hoping for the best and preparing for the worst. And I'm telling you, this is what they're saying, not me. This is what the New Agers are saying. This is what the channelings are saying. This is what we have history to look at and say, well, how was it back then? How was it in the days of Noah? Because Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. These are things that we need to look at in order to prepare ourselves. So, this is Steve Quayle, and he says, I have invested over 30 years researching the vast history of the giants. It has, for the most part, been kept from the public. Proof of giants' existence, their skeletal remains, has been quickly secreted away in obscure museums when not destroyed. Because a lot of times they just destroy the evidence. Okay. Additionally, time has cloaked and sugarcoated these creatures' true perverse nature. The majority, too vile, too demonic for bedtime stories. However, history is replete with their tales of unimaginable cruelty, sexual perversity, cannibalism, and pagan rituals. You, you can't imagine how nasty and depraved these giants were and are. You can't even conceive it in your mind. You can't even, the worst pedophile on our planet probably doesn't even compare to one of these things. 
Okay? This is only the beginning. Some things are best forgotten, or are they? Where did these giants come from, and what was their connection with ordinary humans? Just who were they? What happened to these extraordinary creatures? Is it possible that they could ever return? The last question I will answer right now, and that is yes, they most definitely could return, and they have something much worse in mind for mankind. Now, I'm not saying this so you get all afraid. Because I believe greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Moses, uh, or not Moses, but Joshua and Caleb and the Israelites went in there and defeated whole cities of these things. Why? Because the Lord was on their side. The Lord was on their side. Okay? And I think this is a big reason we need to memorize and quote scripture. Because when you, when you look at how Jesus dealt with Satan in the wilderness, what did he do? He quoted scripture. What is that? Well, it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Even the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joint and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? I think that's why it's also very important to pray Psalm 64 or imprecatory prayers in regard to these types of situations. To hide us from the secret counsel of from the wicked and from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, as Psalm 64, as, as the psalmist was, was asking God to do for him. God's perfectly capable of protecting his remnant. And actually, the power that lies within us via the Holy Spirit, which every born-again Christian has within them, is stronger than anything Satan can throw at you. Greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. Remember, it's like, you know, the remnant that uh, Gilead had, the little small remnant. I don't believe it's going to be a ton of Christians when this stuff starts to go down worldwide that are going to, there's not going to be a lot of people that have a clue. There's going to be a lot of people, I believe, that are going to be absolutely taken aback. But there is going to be a remnant that one way or another fights this evil and does not shriek back. I'm telling you, I'm just waiting for it. I'm just waiting. I, I, I believe this is why I was created, and I believe that's why the remnant that is here right now was why we were created. Is is to a certain extent to do battle with evil, to be salt and light. Okay, and that's salt and light, no matter what, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark it gets, salt and light. Okay, so uh, again, I'm not saying all this to, to freak everybody out and scare everybody. I, I mean, to be quite honest, for it, it kind of has an opposite effect on me. It fires me up because. It really does make the Bible come alive. Okay? And it makes it so much more real. I mean, <laughs> when you're dealing with something, when it, gets, when it gets to be as overt as it's going to get, because it's going to get a lot more overt, when we've actually got, you know, the whole, let's say this whole UFO, quote, alien agenda, when that's actually out in the open, when, they, when full disclosure is made, when these ascended masters have come forth, possibly when giants are roaming the earth, these types of things, when the evil is fully manifest... Um, at that point, you really do realize it's an absolute, total, real battle. Right now, the way it is, is kind of an illusion, because all this stuff hasn't quite happened yet. We're on the cusp of it, but it hasn't quite happened yet. But when it does, it's, you're going to be in a different mindset. It's going to be, it's going to seem probably a lot more real at that time. More real than it can seem right now, because it hasn't happened. This is from um, Steve Quayle's page. And he, this is some documentation. Now, what he does is he has a little chart that goes along with this. And the chart shows these pictures of these skeletons, 
Okay, and the first skeleton is uh, a picture of a present modern-day man, which averages about six feet tall. Now, the second one is a 15-foot skeleton. Now, this is a, these are animations of these skeletons, but he does actually have some pictures of real bones of some of these nephilim that actually are in um, are in museums around the world. Okay. The next one is a 15-foot skeleton found in southeast Turkey in the late 1950s in the Euphrates Valley during road construction. Many tombs containing giants were uncovered here. This pertains to the picture of the giant human femur and myself, which they has on his website. You can see this giant femur. The, the femurs is so big, it's, it's, it's not quite as big as the guy's whole body, but it's, it's close to it. Just the femur. Which is the long bone in the in the upper thigh? Okay. Then there's another picture. Uh, the third picture is a picture of Maximus Thrax, who was Caesar of Rome from 235 to 238 A.D. This was an eight foot six skeleton. Okay, so this was probably a remnant from the giants. And he was actually Maximus Thrax, Caesar of Rome from 235 to uh, two, three, eight, and that was A.D. Okay. Then the third, the fourth picture was uh, probably a, a, a picture pertaining to Goliath in the Bible. It was about nine feet plus tall. First uh, Samuel seven fourteen uh, documents that. And then the next picture is a, a skeletal representation of King Og. Spoken of in Deuteronomy 3.11, whose iron bedstead was approximately 14 by 6 feet wide. Og was at least 12 feet tall. Some claim he was up to 18. But that wouldn't make a lot of sense if his bed was a lot shorter than he was. But 12 feet tall is pretty big. The next picture is a 19 foot 6 inch human skeleton. Oh, it's not human, but <laughs> maybe part, but not fully. A 19 foot... Six-inch human skeleton found in 1577 A.D. A.D. Under an overturned oak tree in the canton of Lucerne. Wow. What's the next one? A 23-foot-tall skeleton found in 1456 A.D. beside a river in Valence, France. Pretty, pretty, pretty big sucker. Pretty big guy. What's the next one? A... 25 six inch tall skeleton found in 1613 AD near the castle of Chamont, France. This was claimed to be nearly, nearly a complete find. In other words, the skeleton was almost nearly complete. 25 foot six inches. Could you imagine? I mean, if you had him on your basketball team, you'd only need one. <laughs> I'll play against everybody, you know. He'd be stepping on people, you know. And then, the last one, almost beyond comprehension or believability, was the find of two separate 36-foot human remains uncovered by the Carthaginians somewhere between 200 and 600 B.C. 36-footer. 36 feet. You can understand why people were a little bit intimidated. I've done a lot of research on the area where I live. Okay, just here in Florida. You, do you, and again, this stuff is so suppressed. You've almost got to go to local 
authors that write books about the local area in order to find this stuff. I have had to pick and choose. I mean, we're talking in a book, there may be one little paragraph that will talk about it somewhere. And I don't think they want to say a whole lot. Maybe they think they're going to discredit themselves or whatever. But the region that I lived in, that I live in right now, was once inhabited by the Calusa Indians, who were an incredibly fierce tribe. The Calusa Indians, when the Spaniards first encountered them, were very, very large, large-boned people. They, the Spaniards were, now granted, the Spaniards were rather short in stature at the time. But these were unusually large people. Very, very, very fierce. Walked around most of the time naked. Were also cannibals. Now, you see a lot of these same characteristics. And again, I believe what the Calusa Indians were were most likely a diluted remnant gene pool of the giants. That's what makes sense. You look at their characteristics. These people, uh, the, I know the Catholics would try to come in and convert them. And they, they, they gave up. They said, there's no way you can convert this people. They, they're, they're beyond help. Now, if you truly had a, a, uh, a gene pool descended from the giants, you can't convert them. Jesus Christ did not come to pay their sin debt. The seed had been corrupted. He had to kill every single person on the planet at one time because the genes and the seed had been so corrupted. They weren't redeemable anymore. For one reason or another, God did it in his mercy. Because if he didn't do it, they would have eventually got to know him, probably killed him. Would have been nobody left. So, these are something. These are things to, uh, to think about. But these Calusa Indians... They ruled uh, in Florida for hundreds of years, uh, from Tampa to what they call Cape Sable, all the way over to Lake Okeechobee. And they were so fierce that all the other tribes would actually come and pay them tribute, uh, because they were, they were essentially the ruling tribe of pretty much all of Florida. And they have discovered and unearthed skeletal remains in the Indian mounds in this area, and some of the times they've discovered Giants. I know that when they excavated a, an area near me called Cape Coral, I read had read a book at one time where they had found eleven foot skeletons there. Okay, Cape Coral, where I live. Um, there's if you go up on on Steve Quayle's website, you can go to North America and click on not all but many of the places where they have found giant skeletal remains. They've also found giant skeletal remains um, in the Lake Okeechobee area. In fact, in Lake Okeechobee, there's there's whole um, in one part of the lake off off between two islands. There's so many bones in the lake to this day that when when the lake goes dry, you can actually at one time uh, and even to this day, you can actually see the bones. And uh, one of the uh, I think in the early 1900s, one of the fishermen had described it. It looked like almost like a pumpkin patch. Because of all the human skulls that you could actually see above there. And in a lot of the mounds that are around that lake, they have discovered um, uh, large, very, very, very large bone skeletons in one burial pattern. And then above that, they actually found sm much smaller skeletons, but the heads were elongated. And that's another sign of, of a... Um, of, of these, these giant races. Now, in Peru, and he's got all the pictures of there of these skulls from Peru, they've got a whole museum where all these elongated skulls are there in Peru. You can go see them for yourself. And I'm talking, these are not human. There's no way they could be human. These skulls are incredibly elongated. Some of them are real fat. Some of them actually have horns growing out of the skull. And, I mean, this is a skeletal remain. 
Okay? I, again, I believe that this is part of the genetic engineering that the Bible talked about was going on, or, or what, that was going on in Genesis 6, and, and the book of Enoch elaborates a lot more on, where they were defiling the animals and all these, these things. And today, it's no wonder that we have all this cloning and this genetic engineering going on. And I believe a lot of it has to do with corrupting the seed of mankind. Um, so that they cannot be redeemed. So, anyway, um, you can go up to Steve Quayle's website and um, explore that further if you like. I'm going to continue with this quote from this book. Uh, and again, the book is Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural, The Coming Great Deception, and the Luciferian Endgame by L.A. Marzula. This is page 85, and it says, As previously mentioned, there were perhaps 400 years or more of direct contact with and interaction between the fallen angels and the men and women. Think of what could have been done in that time frame. It had not been even 200 years since the Industrial Revolution, and look at how mankind has progressed scientifically and technologically by exponential leaps. Think of what the building projects might have been accomplished. There are many ancient megalithic structures that even to this day inspire awe and leave us wondering as to the identity of the builders, and more enigmatically, how they were built. Go online and do a, do a keyword search for Baalbek. B-A-L-L-B-E-K. B-A-L-L-B-E-K. It's one word, Baalbek. See, see what comes up. That's what I did. I, I did this. Now, Baalbek, which is located in the Becca Valley, where? In Lebanon. Remember the Valley of Lebanon is associated with Mount Hermon, according to the Bible? It's very, very close proximity. Lebanon is the northern, essentially the northern border of Israel. This, is, this has a lot to do with Mount Hermon and the Golan Heights. This is all in the same area here. The northern part of Palestine. Okay? So, Baalbek is located in the Becca Valley in Lebanon. It is the site of one of the oldest megalithic structures on earth. It boasts the three largest stones on earth, called the Trilithion. The name is used because of the three stones used in the construction. Ever these are the biggest stones ever used in a building project that we have ever uncovered, ever. The weight of these stones is estimated at over 1,000 tons each. Now, you can go right up on the internet and look at these stones. They're right there for you to see. The biggest stones you've ever seen used in a building. I mean, they're one cut stone. And they're stones that are on top of one another. Now, I went online because I wanted to get the orientation of where Baalbek sits in relation to Mount Hermon and Panaeus and the Valley of Lebanon and the city of Dan. Okay, all of the, and, and Bashan. All of this stuff is in the same area. Okay? Mount Hermon. Baalbek on and it was, it was very hard to get this done. I had to I don't know how many maps I had to look at to finally get the orientation. But on the map that I finally got, I, I measured it online because they had a little scale thing you could break it down. Baalbek is approximately sixty miles north northeast of Mount Hermon or Peneus or Baneus. About and I measured it right from that area. About sixty miles north northeast. So we're not talking very far away. 
which really makes sense because if that's where these fallen angels came down, this is where they established their power base. And from there, they worked their way out. So we would expect to see more corruption as we get near Mount Hermon. And that's exactly what we see. All of the, all of the sanctuaries to Baal, all of the sanctuaries to Pan and Ashtaroth, all of the idolatry that was associated with that area that is absolutely verifiable and proven, the cave of Pan, all of these things are there. The Bashan, Baalbek. Just, you know, I wanted a lot of confirmation when we talked about the subject, and, and it's there. So these, these stones are estimated at over a thousand tons each. The rub is this. No place actually knows when these foundation stones were set in place. But they are thousands of years old. The Trilithion makes up the base of this temple. The Greeks have used this site and called it Heliopolis, or the city of the sun. And, and again, the Baal worship is associated with, with the sun god, Baal. The Romans tore down the Greeks' temple and built their own temple dedicated to the god Jupiter. Now, they didn't tear down these stones. I don't think they could have moved them if they wanted to. But the actual temple itself. But they, they, uh, they set up their own temple for Jupiter. Local legends, however, say that the original builders of the temple were giants. That's what the local legends say. And again, these stones are so gigantically huge that there really almost could be no other explanation. Near the site, about one quarter mile away, is the largest huge stone in the world. Estimated at over 1,200 tons. 1,200 tons? Yeah, you can go look at it online. It's still there. It is partially buried as whosoever was quarrying it stopped for some reason before it was finished. Hmm, perhaps the cessation was because of the flood of Noah. <laughs> perhaps, uh, so however, the real mystery is how did they move these stones? In other words, in other words, they found the quarry, which was, uh, was it say over a mile away? Yeah, it was over uh, one quarter mile away. They found the quarry. But how in the world would they have moved a stone that weighed over a thousand tons? Okay, we don't have a crane big enough to do that today. We don't have technology today that can do that. How did they do it? So how did these, quote, primitives from around the time of the Bronze Age, uh, 2500 BC, move these three stones, which are already there at Baalbek, which make up the Trilithion over one quarter mile away to their present resting place? I have been told that moving these stones today would be an impossibility, even with the largest cranes on earth. After all, the stone that remains partially quarried in and of itself sets the mind reeling when one thinks about moving it. It is 69 feet in length, and its sides measure 16 feet by 13 feet 10 inches. Okay, so this is over 120, over 1,200 tons one stone. We don't have a crane even near big enough to do that. Modern archaeologists shrug their shoulders and offer scenarios of thousands of sweaty slaves with ropes, logs, and ramps and toiling away under the careful eye of the taskmaster. Please! Yet, in my opinion, this explanation is absurd. If you were to try to roll this thing on, on, on um, wood or, or whatever, it would crush the wood there's there's not enough people. There's just no way logistically it can be done. It's never been done. There was something else, you know, that was doing this. 
Now remember, when the, when the angels fell, they brought a lot of what the Book of Enoch talks about is is the technology that they introduced, and they and they taught the the men how to make uh, weapons of war and these types of things, and, and how to um, forge metals and and those types of things. So they actually they they had a lot of the technology that unfortunately we end up getting was from that, um, where the human race learned how to do these types of things. Obviously, they have technology far beyond ours. You look at the UFO scenario, obviously the technology that's many times presented there is, is, is infinitely further than anything we really have on Earth. So this probably is the same thing that actually was able to move these stones originally. The following is, is what I feel to be much more plausible commentary on bailback. Uh, now, this is from sacredsites.com, which I believe is a pagan site. They say, The great mystery of the ruins of Baalbek, and indeed one of the greatest mysteries of the ancient world, concerns the massive foundation stones beneath the Roman temple of Jupiter. Why these stones are such an enigma to the contemporary scientists, both engineers and archaeologists alike, is that their method of quarrying, transportation, and precision placement is beyond technological ability of any known ancient or modern builders. It's just a fact. Okay? Um, going further, so continuing, here is another aspect of the presence of the Nephilim for consideration. I've previously stated that there were about 400 years from the beginning point of time that the fallen angels cohabitated with women on earth, resulting in a hybrid Nephilim race until the judgment of the flood. How many Nephilim hybrids might have been conceived during that time? Thousands and thousands and thousands? What if these hybrids did reach a height of 30 feet, as I previously suggested, and as we just talked about, that's why I wanted to give that quote from Steve Quayle's website, because they've actually found a 36-foot skeleton, too, okay, and, and that was found, and again, I'll just say that, uh, two separate 36-foot human remains uncovered by the Carthaginians somewhere between 200 and 600 B.C., Okay, now again, this is just these are just a few accounts. There's been thousands of these things found. As I said, just researching my area alone, I have found numerous references to giant skeletons that were found in where I live. Okay, and then I tie that in again with the Calusa Indians that I mentioned and this unbelievably fierce tribe that were cannibalistic, that were unusually large, that were incredibly fierce in battle, that walked around naked. This is a sign. This, this is, these are a lot of the, the things you see associated with this. I just believe the Calusas, when the Spanish found them, were of a much more diluted gene pool than they might have been when, you know, the giants first got to them. Okay. Now again, this you can you can go around the United States, around the world. In fact, on Steve Quayle's website, he's got a whole, um, for all these different regions like Australia, North America, South America, he's got all the documentation, or not all, but a partial listing of documentation of giants they have uncovered for every single continent in the world. And you can go up on his website and find all these out. Um, and he's also got a book that he wrote on the Giants, which I don't, have never read the book, but it's very, very highly recommended. I have, um, by anybody who's ever read it, they highly recommend the book if you want to know more about that particular subject. Just again, don't let it, don't let it get you where you're thinking, oh, you know, I, I, I have no chance, and this and that, and these Giants appear, or whatever. You know, it always boils back to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. 
Okay. So, going further, um, so if the Giants did reach a height of 30 feet, as he previously suggested, and there is absolute proof of that, again, allow me to ask, can you imagine what could have been accomplished under these circumstances? I mean, when you look at these, these comparisons of a 6-foot skeleton compared to a 35-foot skeleton, I mean, we look like a little ant. They could literally step on us and, and, and hardly probably notice us. Okay? The skeletons are huge. And these things could, could um, I mean, the amount of weight they could probably pick up is, is unlike anything we could even fathom. Now, referring to the Hebrew scripture in Deuteronomy, for only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnants of the giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. It is not and then it said, Is it not in Rabeth of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth thereof, after the cubit of man. That's Deuteronomy 3.11, KJV. Thus, Og, the giant, from the air of Bashan, might have been over 12 feet tall. Once again, as in Numbers 13, 32, and 22, there is a mention of giants being in the land after the flood. The reason I mention this is that Somehow, fallen angels were once again able to manifest openly upon the earth and procreate with women, resulting in the offspring um, known as the Nephilim, or the giants, or the fallen ones. And as, and if this is the case, that they were able to offer, they were able to manifest after the flood, then it begs the question, why not now? I mean, do we think we're above this happening now? When this is the time when, when that Jesus predicted there was going to be the greatest deception ever, take heed lest no man deceive you. Jesus kept warning us regarding the times that we're going into, Matthew 24, um, these types of things. If it were possible, they should deceive the very elect, lying signs and wonders and miracles coming from, you know, particularly the false prophet, and then through into the Antichrist. All these things are going to be happening to deceive us. In a later chapter, I will discuss why I believe this is the very scenario as far as, as these giants manifesting and is happening now in our time, which may lead to what I call the Great Deception. But what if the structure at Baalbek was built before the flood? Remember, when we first began discussing in Genesis 6, along the quotes from the book of Enoch, all of this text refers to the time before the flood. In fact, as I have pointed out, the commingling of fallen angels and the woman of the earth were the reason for the flood in the first place, whereas the seed had been corrupted. According to this article in the preceding pages about Baalbek, the site predates history. Picture 20 or 30 foot giants hoisting one of the stones of the Trilithion. Now, if they had 20 or 30 foot giants, they could do this. We can't even do it today with the biggest crane we've got. Can you imagine a thousand or more giants being directed by fallen angels in the building of this project? What about the stones of the Great Pyramid? That's another mystery. I mean, these stones are gigantic. Not as big as these. But it is something to think about. But can you imagine a thousand or more giants being directed by fallen angels? I mean, the giants would be... The fallen angels were their dads, essentially. Okay, so they're going to obey their dads. And if, if, if the fallen angels are directing these things, they're going to direct the giants to be doing these, these projects, most likely. Yet Josephus hints that the bones of the Nephilim 
that were on the display in Jerusalem in the first century AD were unlike the bones of men in that their stature was great. So in other words, uh, evidently these bones of Nephilim were on display in Jerusalem in the first century AD. I propose that the presence of the Nephilim is the missing uh, link, and by this I mean that the race of giants that once existed. In antiquity, an assertion that most scholars and archaeologists will not even consider because it deals with the invasion of our space-time continuum with beings from the spirit world. And this, of course, is unacceptable to our current logic-driven age. I would also like you to note that most of the Christian circles... In most of the Christian circles, this concept of the fallen angels having sex with earthly women resulting in this demonic hybrid is considered too bizarre. Therefore, it is most often not a subject that is broached. And yet, we have the Genesis in the Anakian accounts explaining that this is precisely what happened. Well, pretty soon, you know what? We're not going to be able to ignore any of this stuff anymore. Pretty soon, we're going to be forced, one way or another, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, to uh, either get on board or understand what's going on from a biblical standpoint and embrace the Word of God and embrace the warnings in the Word of God and understand this is what the Bible and what Jesus Christ himself predicted was going to happen. One way or another, you can ignore it all you want. You can ignore all you want now, but there's going to come a time where you will have to choose whom this day, what you're going to believe. And I'm telling you, it makes perfect sense biblically. Everything that we're talking about today does not contradict the Bible. It confirms the Bible. Okay, These things should get you fired up and psyched up about what's going to be actually coming from that standpoint because it, to me, this makes the Bible come alive. It doesn't but see, if you've never been educated in this, and if, you've been, if your preacher or whoever, or your particular church system, or your televangelist, has been, if you've only been going by the teachings of men, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah 17.5 So, if that's what you're doing, uh, and that's where you've put your trust, and they've never mentioned any of this stuff, and it starts to go down, and it doesn't line up with your paradigm of thinking and you've never really studied the Bible, you are going to be swept up in the strong delusion, most likely. And you will believe a lie, and you will be damned, because you have not received the love of the truth. The primary truth is the Word of God, okay, which most people don't even read, because they're reading some perversion. Okay, The King James Bible. That's the primary truth. Okay, But there's also other truth out there that confirms and lines up with the Word of God, which is kind of what my, uh, my whole ministry is about preparing the saints for the end time so that we are equipped uh, both mentally, physically, spiritually to deal with what's coming. There's going to be so few that are equipped, I believe those are going to be the ones that the Lord uses. Because there's so few that want to even hear about this stuff. Or, or the ones that do, and this is unfortunately is a very common trend, the ones that do get into this stuff get so far up in left field and get so unbiblical, they almost start their own little cult in regard to their in regard to their belief systems. They get way away from the Word of God, and they study this stuff, and they're into some cult heresy that you know. Ultimately, you know, that's going to lead them astray. So that's our that's our teaching for today, and I'm going to go ahead and stop here, and we'll pick up next week with a study on the Assyrian.
and how that plays into the whole end-time Antichrist scenario. And uh, we'll go from there. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us and all your goodness and your mercy that you've bestowed upon us, Lord. And we just pray, I pray, Lord God, that you equip your remnant, your saints, with the truth for the end times that we're moving into. Um, I pray, God, that we would be able to share the truth and love with those, Lord God, that have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive. According to thy will, I pray that you would forgive us for any and all sins we have committed in any way, shape, or form, and that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, that you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us, that your name would be glorified through your remnant, that, Lord God, uh, many would be saved as a result of what you would do through us, and that, Lord God, you would bless my listeners, and, Lord, the, the widows, and the orphans, and the poor, and the unborn babies in the womb, Lord, and the and just those that are, are innocent and weak and meek, Lord, we just pray, God, for your blessings to be upon them, that your angels, your angels would encamp around about them, and that, Lord God, for your protective hand to be upon them, and that you would use them also mightily for thy glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray all these things. Amen.